Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, Lisa Hilton. Yes, thank you for having me, Victor. I appreciate it. Great to have you here. Now, Lisa, you've been at this game for a little while and you're in multiple different asset classes. But before we dive into the details of our conversation, maybe give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yes, I'm happy to do so. So my backstory is I was an accountant for 14 and a half years. I'm still a CPA. I started my journey at PricewaterhouseCoopers 10 years, uh, then went on to work for an investment manager in private equity real estate funds for the four and a half years after that. And during that time, I got exposed to real estate syndications, started investing passively, have invested in over five passive investments to date. And through that experience, decided to start my own business, being able to provide syndication opportunities in recession resistant asset classes. So when you say recession resistant, that means maybe different things to different people. What, Mm -hmm. uh, What specific asset classes are you focused on? Yeah, great question. So I am focused on class B multifamily assets. I am also focused on mobile home parks, self storage. Um, Those are the three for right now. When you're working on these projects, are you investing? Are you raising the funds on a per deal basis? How, How are you structuring these deals? Yes, great question. So the way I typically go about it is I will create a fund to provide my investors an opportunity to invest in a particular deal. At this moment in time, I focus on doing single asset funds. So I'll just create one LLC to invest in one particular uh, investment. But um, as we were speaking before, one of my visions is to be able to create a fund that would be able to invest in multiple assets. One of the advantages, of course, of the fund model is when you get new assets that are that you're evaluating, you've got the fund sitting in your bank account, you're able to pull the trigger quickly, and you're able to be more agile in the marketplace than someone who is going to go out and raise capital for a single deal. Mm-hmm. It's got some pros and cons. What have you discovered so far in comparing the fund model versus versus doing things on a per deal basis? Yeah, you know, going to the fund model does come with some pros and cons. And I think one of the biggest cons is you need to make sure you have good deal flow because that will enable you to then not have, if you're going to call capital from investors, typically the preferred return will start accruing the moment at which you call capital from investors. So in order to best be able to manage that call that you need to then be able to have consistent deal flow. So that then puts the onus on you to build relationships with as many operators as possible, you know, do your due diligence beforehand to then put yourself in a position where you have uh, deals set up in advance. That is not something that I am currently doing. I'm not creating funds that actually take capital from investors before I have the deal. Um, But I'm very familiar having worked on those kinds of deals and how they are typically structured. So one of the ways to sort of manage that is many institutional fund managers will do something like a credit line, for instance. So instead of 
calling capital, they will use that capital and go to, you know, a bank that's in the industry and say, hey, listen, I have these commitments. The bank will look at the different investors and determine which ones are bankable to then be able to provide the fund with a line of credit. So that enables them to use the credit line to buy assets um, and be in a position where they could even purchase assets, the assets are performing to the extent that they're doing a value add type strategy. So they're buying operating assets and then be able to provide even operating distributions long before they even call capital. But that's a more sophisticated structure, of course. Yeah, that's a very interesting, very interesting approach. I mean, at the most basic level, you raise a fund, the money's sitting in your bank account, it's earning zero because you haven't deployed it, and yet there's still an expectation of a rate of return going to the investors. Mm-hmm. So that's got to put an awful lot of pressure on the fund manager to deploy capital, perhaps even artificially if you don't have a good deal, because right now it's earning zero. Correct. What, what you're saying is don't do that. Keep the money in the investor's hands. Only call the capital when it's required, so then the expectation of a return only triggers at the capital call as opposed to at the closing of a fund. Right. And and you eliminate that pressure point, but you're adding some risk as well. You're adding the risk that at the capital call, the investor can't perform. Correct, correct. So typically you're then working with investors who have the ability to perform and they're gonna be good on their word. Um, so, so yeah, and you know, obviously as this strategy that I'm, you know, sharing with you is something that's done at the institutional level. So usually I don't really see this much in, you know, the smaller syndication space. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we've certainly seen, for example, about a year ago this time, we had some ups and downs in the market. Uh, and when I say the market, I mean the stock market. And we had investors that had committed funds. They signed the offering memorandum paperwork. And then when it came time to actually fund, stock market dropped, they were underwater, there was maybe a margin call, and they forgot to sell mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. couldn't actually perform on their commitment, and they had to back out of their commitment on the syndication. I could foresee that sort of thing happening mm-hmm. if we saw, for example, a pullback in the market and people's circumstances change. It's still a risk point in, in, in my mind. It is still a risk point. Talk a little bit about fund maturity. I mean, a lot of passive investors are often reluctant to invest in fund one because they mm-hmm. don't necessarily see a track record. How do you translate the track record in the industry, track record that you can point to into into the fund model that in a way that they can legitimately you know, consider that part of the track record? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way in which I approach things is first start. So for someone who's interested in sort of doing a fund, I think it's beneficial to start with single asset funds and sort of cutting your teeth on that first, because that's going to give you the track record to then move into a space of multiple asset funds. Because if you're executing, if you're creating one LLC to buy one multifamily, and you've done that a couple times, and you've been successful in terms of managing that capital and providing returns, then if you then move to say, okay, I'm going to keep the asset class the same, but I now I'm going to expand to be able to provide you with the opportunity to invest your 50k 
pay now not just in one asset class, not in just one asset, but say five multifamilies. Um, it's a favorable proposition for the investor than them going on a single, like committing 50K to five different syndications. Let's say for a moment, let's, and I'm just making up some numbers here. Let's say that you've got five assets in the portfolio. They're all multifamily apartment complexes. They're all of a similar size and of a similar quality. Mm-hmm. Would it make sense to go back to the investors for all of those five original syndications and ask them if they would value being part of the seed of that new fund? And then you grow the fund from those five assets to 10 or 20 by bringing additional capital into the fund, but they get the benefit of the diversification of being part of the fund model versus just a single asset. Is that, that, does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And that's exactly where I would, where I would start. I would start with those single asset funds. You're delivering returns to investors. They get comfortable with that approach. And then you can go from there to then creating a fund that is going to acquire multiple single, multiple multifamily assets that's in alignment with your strategy previously. So that is in alignment with your track record as well. As a CPA, can you talk a little bit to the complexity of managing a fund versus individual assets? Because you're still at the individual asset level, you still have all the basic filing and compliance requirements that you have for a single syndication, but Mm -hmm. now you've added an extra layer on top of that. Uh, Is it more or less complex? What, What are your thoughts? Um, I think that there is a little bit more complexity for sure. Anytime you add additional assets into one vehicle, um, be it the fund, uh, even though they're each going to have their own LLCs, but by and large, you're going to create a fund that is going to host all these LLCs. um, There is going to be additional complexities than just having one. So some of the complexities are if you're dealing with different operators, for instance, um, you then have say five, five different investments, five different operators, so five different K-1s. Um, from the investor's point of view, they are insulated from that experience because you're the one who's receiving all the K-1s and then ultimately creating one K-1 for them. But there's the K-1s, there's just managing different assets. I think the key here is if you decide that that's something you want to do, it's important to think about the systems that you're going to need to have in place. So one of the key things is like fund administration um, and like hiring a good fund administration to help you in terms of managing um, your your assets. Uh, And then, you know, perhaps as you start to grow larger like that, you might start thinking about auditing, for instance, um, because now you're getting bigger. So you want to get auditors involved. So that's, these are things that all come along with the process of growing larger. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's something to shy away from, but it's something to think about some of the systems and processes that you need to be in place to be successful. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about some of the flow through elements when you've got a fund, your maybe each of these projects are individual LLCs probably set up as a partnership as opposed to doing a corporate filing. You're flowing through all kinds of things. You're flowing through depreciation. You're flowing Mm -hmm. through expenses. You're flowing through profits. There could be, in some cases, taxable consequences on phantom income, depending Mm -hmm. on how things are structured. 
how does that work? Uh, what are the expectations that you set with your investors so that if one of those situations does present itself, they're able to handle it? So a couple of things, I'm going to sort of break your question into two. So typically, um, the best way I like to do the fund of fund structure, and it's almost feels like an accounting question, mm -hmm. um, is, is the equity, is the equity pickup. So you have two methods, you have like a dividend income method. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little technical here, but you have the dividend income method and you have the equity pickup method. The dividend income method is you have the different investments and essentially whatever cash you get off of them like that is the dividend income that you've gotten. So like that's the operating distribution. And then you fair value the asset at the end of each quarter, that kind of thing. The equity pickup would you would be you at the fund level sort of piercing down into each investment and sort of saying, okay, I'm going to pick up my portion of your revenue and all of your expenses uh, to then bring up to the fund level. Um, and that's typically like, I don't like to go down into the equity pickup method. I prefer dealing with the dividend income method because it's more cleaner um, for, for myself and for my investors. And in terms of depreciation, um, yes, like in the typical fund model here, you are getting that depreciation expense. So they are getting those tax benefits by even still investing in that fund vehicle. What is the, I mean, we don't know because obviously no announcements have been made beyond things that have been said on the campaign trail. What are you hearing through some of your channels around how the tax code might change uh, specifically around 1031, around bonus depreciation, things like that? What would you advise both syndicators and investors to do as they're planning their projects over the next 6-12 months? You know, I think that it's beneficial to stay close to what's going like what is going on because no one truly knows until the final policies have been made. I think being able to put yourself in a position where you're nimble where you have a couple different options is probably your best opportunity because if you're only betting on a 1031 exchange to help you for whatever reason in order to avoid certain types of taxes, et cetera, um, there's really like, unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball and I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I can't control uh, public policy. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, Lisa, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, the best way is to just visit my website, lisahilton.com. All my information is there, everything from my podcast, blogs, as well as just reaching out to get to know me and signing up to learn more. Terrific. Well, Lisa, appreciate the perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Lisa at lisahilton.com. That's spelled L-I-S-A-H-Y-L-T-O-N.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.